And welcome to another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider. Sam Webb, your host here with the man that breaks it all down for us. He wore the uniform at the University of Michigan before going to the NBA as a first-round draft pick. And now a commentator on the NBA side for Pistons games, college basketball for ESPN. And I like to just introduce him as my friend, Tim McCormick. Tim, how you doing? I'm good. You're my friend too, Sam. And, and boy, we've got a lot to cover. What an exciting week of high-level basketball, and I was really fortunate. I had a, a hole in my basketball schedule, my broadcast schedule, so I attended both the Michigan-Ohio State and the Michigan-Michigan State games, both electric environments. Really proud of our guys, our coaches, the, the whole environment, and and I just love college basketball, and it's awesome. And kind of a, a unique perspective um, on Michigan State. Before we really we, we dig into the games, um, I, I sat about about 20 yards from Greg Brown and Hunter Dickinson and Jade Nakins and Jace Howard and all all these high level recruits. And every time there was a big play and the, the crowd went crazy, uh, it was really fun because they were nodding, they were slapping hands. Like there, there there was a lot of buzz from high school kids about the University of Michigan. I think you got a little buzz. This week with um, with our special guest, can you tell us who that is? Yeah, we have on this week's show Josh Christopher, uh, a a guy that if you follow high school basketball, college basketball recruiting, this is a name you know. He is one of the top talents in the entire country, a five-star shooting guard, according to 24-7 Sports. You're talking about a kid that right now, right now, today, uh, an NBA body. He's he's all of six foot five, about two hundred five, two hundred ten pounds. Just uh, just has everything. You watch a kid like that, and you say, okay, that you you see a pro. Uh, you don't have to be you don't have to be seasoned in watching these guys, Tim, uh, to know that that guy is on a different level than than the guys he's playing with and against uh, at his high school, and yet and yet. Still puts in the work. That's another thing that I look to, Tim, and we're going to get into this more and more. Uh, and it's it, it's significant because we've been talking a lot about Kobe lately, right? And, the, and you out in California, Kobe's everywhere. You can't drive down the expressway without seeing Kobe signs. And so hmm. for Josh Christopher's high school, their warm-up jerseys were – they were Kobe Bryant commemorative warm-ups. And so you had number wow. eight and number 24 on the chest, and you had Gigi's number two on there as well and it speaks to me that when we talked about Kobe we talked about what made him special was he was a guy that had God-given talent he was blessed with things that he had nothing to do with but he didn't rest on that he still worked extremely hard and when you watch Josh Christopher I went to his game or no I went to a practice first on Thursday watched him go through a practice then the next day uh, he had a workout in the morning, went to school. Then he had he, he went to a treatment after that where he got in an ice bath, and I went to his ice bath. So this is my point in mentioning all of that is this is a kid that is not just satisfied with his natural, his God-given talent. He puts in the work. He puts in the extra time to be great. And so Michigan is one of the finalists for this young man, which made it made it important for me to get out and see him. Yeah, I hope everybody listens because this is a, an exciting prospect that plays a position that Michigan desperately needs 
that playmaking. I, I did a little film study. He, he um, at first glance, reminds me a little bit of, of Jay Rich, Jason Richardson. And and is that accurate, or is am I overselling or underselling? You, you're, not, you're not overselling at all. Again, I, I think maybe Jay Rich was a little longer, but I think athletically they're similar. You know, Jay Rich probably 6'6", 215 or, or, or so, 215, 220. Um you know, Josh is 6'5", maybe an inch or so shorter, around 210, 215 or so. But that same physicality and that same explosion, you could really, really see it uh, in the open floor when he wanted to get to the basket. It was almost at will if they put one guy on him. It took two guys and sometimes running a third guy at him to turn him away from the rim. But you saw him be able to hit a runner. Uh, he stuck a fadeaway jumper. Uh, from the baseline, he stuck a he he hit a step back three. Uh, he took a charge. He he mm. got down in transition and blocked a shot. I mean, he just from an athletic standpoint to get back to your comparison to to Jason Richardson, yes, brings that kind of physicality and explosion. I think he handles it better uh, than than Jay Rich. The guy I kind of thought about. Was it was a Jimmy Butler type in his ability to to also create for others, to be a plus defender, to create for others in addition to being a guy that's extremely tough to 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 stop from getting downhill. But if you do that, can stick a jumper, you have to respect him. Uh, Jay Rich, though, I like it, Tim, in that yes, you get that kind of athletic presence. I will say, just to you know, just to pay homage to one of the state's all-time greats, I, I Jason Richardson. I probably would give him the nod in, in a vertical leap contest. I think he probably gets <laughs> up. I think he probably gets up a little higher than Josh. But I like that. I like that comparison uh, overall when you talk about the kind of physical presence you're bringing to the wing position for whoever gets him. All right. So he's got a Kobe-like approach, and he's got Jay Rich athleticism, and he's a playmaker like Jimmy Butler. I want that guy <laughs> on campus. <laughs> right. And so, right. so and, and it's important. It's also important for us to qualify. See, you, you, you never really know how things are going to translate for a guy when he goes to the pros or when he, even when he gets to college. I mean, they're, they're, Tim, you being a college athlete and a pro athlete, I'm sure you've played with a ton of talented guys that didn't make it. So there, there, there's more to success than, you know, what these guys are physically at this point. There's a lot more development. But I think we, what we can see, what we can see with him is he has the baseline talent. Uh, it seems like he has the, the prerequisites as far as, you know, what he puts, the work he puts in to be great. But time will tell. So I don't. I don't want people to come away from this podcast saying, and I know we're saying it in jest, but, hey, they said he's the next Jason Richardson, or, hey, he's the next Jimmy Butler, or he's the next Kobe. Not saying it. We're just giving you a picture of his athletic skills at the high school level, what he has right now, and with, with work and time, he could be really, really good. What we, what we know, Tim, and to get back to your point, a difference maker for Michigan or whoever gets him in college, this guy would be an absolute difference maker. I'm pretty confident in that. I like it. I like it. And let's let's talk a little about the guys that are in college right now, man. Ohio State seems like it was a long time ago. A lot of storylines have come and gone since then. But what a physical game that was. Yeah, it was, Tim. And, and you know, I came away from that contest uh, more disappointed 
maybe maybe the most disappointed in the game all season because I felt it was right there for them. That mm-hmm. it, it was one of their better defensive efforts. That they that they had they got good looks. They got good looks throughout the game, and that, and I'm not just talking about good looks from three. Good looks, uh, you know, close I- inside the arc and around the basket. You got a terrific contribution from a guy that you've been talking up all season for his contribution, unexpected by many, including me. But Austin Davis gave them a big lift off the bench, and it just felt like, man, and it was at home. And I came yeah. away saying this was a tough loss to swallow because it was right there for them, it seemed, and they weren't able to capitalize on all those things that I just talked about. Uh, and it was no surprise to me that that was one of the things that Jawan Howard said in this game that, hey, he said this one was very, very tough to swallow. I thought it was one of the most physical games that I've ever seen in person. Uh, there were 25 or 30 calls that could have been whistled and nobody would have complained. And I'm not saying that there was any favoritism right. or Michigan got a bad whistle. Um, it was just, it was way too physical. And it, it kind of made me wonder. I had this image of the three officials in the locker room sitting around talking before the game saying, hey, let, let's do something crazy. Let's just, let's not call anything today. Let's let the, <laughs> you know, let's just let it go and see what happens. And, and, and I thought, I thought that took a lot of skill out of the game. It did. Um, I think that Michigan missed a lot of layups looking for contact. Um, and then it was so ironic that you had a game in which they called nothing, and then it gets decided by something that to me was very trivial was Xavier Simpson. I agree with you. Um, I will I will stipulate at the onset that I'm not a big Terry Weimer fan. I say I say that with with all due respect. I just you know I feel like I don't. I can't say that he singles Michigan out or that he he has an axe to grind with Michigan, but I just feel like, you know, some of his calls don't go Michigan's way. And I know I got friends of his that are friends of mine. He's a really, really good friend with Shea Patterson's dad, Sean. And Sean is always like, hey, man, leave my guy Terry alone. But I didn't like this call, Tim. And I'm not blaming. Let's be clear. I agree with you that – that this game was physical on both sides, that Michigan didn't get uh, – they didn't get the short end of the whistle, and Ohio State didn't get the short end of the whistle. You, you would think they'd get some home cooking, but Michigan didn't get home cooking in this game. But this call, to, to me, was one where it's like you, you, let the, you let the visual of the ripped jersey kind of cloud your judgment. Xavier Simpson got fouled, Tim. And in the yep. in the course of trying to break his fall from the foul, he grabs the jersey, and he gets called for a flagrant for grabbing the jersey. Explain? Can you explain that to me, please? Well, I can't, and that's why I went to a source. Um, I, I had an A10 game on Saturday, and and I'm sorry, Sunday. And um, prior to the game, I had a really good conversation with with an official that watched that game, and I asked his opinion. I said, tell me in your rule book, what is the, the, the term for flagrant foul? And he said, well, the two words are intentional. The second word is excessive. And, and that play was neither. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it was intentional. You're, you're about to, to, you know, to hit that floor really hard. You might, you know, all the, I, 
I was I was very close. I was 50 feet away, and I got a really good look at it. He was going right into the cameras. You know, that's dangerous for athletes, and I think subconsciously, you know, they know that. So he's trying to protect his fall, and 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 it was really a reaction. It wasn't intentional. It wasn't excessive, and and it should have been a no call, ten times out of ten. I I just I thought it was I thought it was a poor decision. And, and it went outside the letter of the law of, you know, everything's reviewable or what, what plays are reviewable. Well, there's certain things that need common sense. Now, I have to give Ohio State credit. You know, they stepped up in a really tough environment and knocked down four clutch free throws. But um, I, I walked away from that game feeling really good about Michigan. I, you know, I wanted, I wanted to win, and there's certainly some things that they need to do better. Um, Caleb Wesson dominated John Teske. Uh, we got off to another slow start shooting the ball. Our three-point shooting mm. is is an issue. We lack playmakers. But, hey, I don't look at our team and say, hey, you know, we're better than Iowa. We're better than Illinois. We're better than Ohio State. We're better than Minnesota. We're pretty darn even with all those teams. And and that's what happens when you lose three pros. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when you, you lose your best player. So I – I don't expect that we're going to win all these games. I think they're just playing really hard, and I've seen growth. So, you know, I, I could live with that. Yeah, you know, I, I knew I knew when when Kyle Young walked down the court with his jersey open saying he, he grabbed my jersey, I knew they were going to call that foul. I, I just, right. you know, this is why I get back to, you know, officials are humans too, that, that we can't, we can't, uh, uh, allow the the human error for them to to be given a pass. If we allow the human error for them to be given a pass, then we need to allow it for the player. Oh, you know, he made him he made him say give him pass. No, everyone should be held to the same standard. That was a mistake, in my opinion, by the by the referees that they allowed to happen because of the optics of his jersey being open, and that should not have affected should not have affected that call. You said 10 times out of 10 is not a call. You're absolutely right. I think 10 times out of 10, if the jersey hadn't ripped, it wouldn't have been a call. But because the no, jersey right. because right. the jersey ripped, it, they it, it it just it you know, it it blew their minds and they just they had to make the call and it was the wrong call in the grand scheme of things, but you know, you one thing that bothered me in that game, Tim, is if I'm a big I'm a big believer in in rolling with the hot hand. And in the two games prior, we saw back-to-back career-high performances from Brandon Johns. So coming into this game, I felt like, look, get Brandon Johns some shots. Now, I know he had foul trouble uh, in this game. And I, I understand that part of, part of Austin Davis's opportunity was, was born of the, you know, the issues for, for Brandon Johns. But in 25 minutes, he got five shots, uh, Tim. And I, I just, you know, to me, that that's counter what I'm talking about when I say, you know, you ride the hot hand. I, to me, it's not just riding the hot hand in games. Let's ride the hot hand for the last couple of games. You know, career high, the last two games. Let's see if he can follow it up in game number three. And I don't think Michigan explored that enough in that game. It's well said. Um, and, and I have an answer for that is that um, on teams you have – go-to guy practices and shoot around like everybody knows who the guy is and 
And on this team, Isaiah Livers is always going to get shots. And whether we like it or not, Eli Brooks hunts for shots. You know, he, he gets a lot up. Um, Brandon Johns is not to that point. He's still a support guy. Mm-hmm. And, and his shot attempts are more random. They're based on flow of game, mismatches away from the ball. Um, and, and so I can see why he didn't get enough shots. Um, but, but when you talk about the lack of shooters and playmakers, um, I, do, I do think that the three home losses shooting 25% from three is not going to win. When when I watch Eli and Franz, they they have bad misses, <laughs> and and they started the game one for nine from three. Mm-hmm. Those guys need to to really make sure that they appreciate the fact that shooting is a privilege. You know, you you don't just go out there and launch whenever you feel ready. If you if you miss three in a row, you need to find a way <laughs> to get to the free throw line or get something in transition or grab an offensive rebound. Like you. I, I don't think that those guys understand that that they should not be trying to shoot themselves shoot themselves out of slumps. They they've got to do some other thing because some of those misses are long, um, and and they're wide and they're all over the place. So those two have to do a much better job of of making sure that their feet are set. They take their time. And they knock down some of those shots. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a great point uh, and and great perspective on Brandon Johns. You're right. Uh, you know, even on this team, uh, a team that without without Isaiah Livers in the lineup, uh, you know, still role definition. Uh, you know, for 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 guys that are looking to establish themselves, a guy like Brandon Johns who's looking to establish himself. You know, his his role definition is still in flux. You know, it. <laughs> it, it it's the, the, the bar is kind of moved for him. All right, you had a little success. Well, hey, now can you assert yourself and be that offensive guy? There's a mental adjustment for, for him and for his teammates. So that's a great point. Uh, you know, I, I just felt like that's a missed opportunity on a, on a game or in a, on a day where guys weren't hitting threes. Brandon Johns was two for three from three-point range in that game. So three for five from the field. That's why I said, hey, you know, Get that guy some shots. Now, again, four fouls in the game, 25 minutes. He was all he played. But, uh, you know, hopefully that that's something that w- was stressed to them. It wound up not being as big a deal against Michigan State because Zay was back. Uh, so you didn't have to you didn't have to look for that other guy. You have to look for Isaiah Livers. But in that in that Ohio State game, uh, I'm thinking I'm hoping that that was something that the coaches kind of pointed to after the fact. One point about Franz. Uh, before we move on, I, I think you make a great point that when when you're missing like those guys are missing, you know, what else are you doing? And and while you're you're right, he could do a better job of of getting to the free throw line or or putting it on the deck and getting to the rim in in games uh, where he is not hitting his threes. He does that some, but maybe not as consistently as he should. I like the fact that it it does not – he plays the rest of the game. He had 14 rebounds in that game, Tim. And, and similarly against Michigan State, where his jumper's not falling, he's doing other things. He's attacking the glass. He's playing defense. He's being an emotional presence for his team, A a an approach to the game that you don't see in a lot of young guys you see in Franz Wagner. That guy can rebound the ball. He is so darn impressive, and I think he's improved defensively, and and his driving ability is going to get better and better. And as I watch him play, I think I think 
I could see him being at Michigan for three years. Mm-hmm. I, I think he, I think he's gonna, he's gonna continue to develop. But I also don't look at him and say he's a finished product. So it's it's gonna be fun. And I, I am. I, I want to throw out another name too. Man, Austin Davis. <laughs> he's made eleven of his twelve shots. That 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 can that includes Michigan State. They need to find a way to keep him around next year. I know that scholarships are at a premium, but but with John Teske graduating and Hunter Dickinson as a freshman, Austin Davis is a producer. He's a good defender. He brings physicality, and he's also a leader on that team. So I want to I want to give a little shout out to Austin Davis. Yeah, like I said to you before, uh, when it came up, I, I think it has gone from, uh, you know, maybe not being a, a real conversation uh, to to being one. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think that that like guys do after every season, they sit and they they weigh, they ponder their future. I'm talking about the guys that. Uh, you know, maybe the guys that are playing reserve roles, could they go somewhere else and get more minutes, have an expanded opportunity? Uh, I think there are a number of guys on Michigan's roster that will, you know, that will ponder those questions. And mm-hmm. and from Michigan's perspective, uh, you know, I, I think you got to look at you got to look at that that Austin Davis question. The same thing with, with Colin Castleton, because, you you know, as you sit and you watch, you, you hope that Colin isn't getting so frustrated that he's questioning his Michigan future, which you what you got to know if you're the coaching staff. Though you can't lose both of those guys. <laughs> you, no, you got to no, have that, at least that's true. You got to have yeah. at least one of them back. So, uh, you know, ideally, could you have both of them back? Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, but you certainly can't lose them both. And I don't. I'm not putting that out there in the atmosphere to suggest that you know anything is imminent with with either of them. I'm just saying that if you're Michigan, your folk. It has to be in the conversation, Austin Davis, now, because you know all the guys that are playing reserve roles are probably going to be looking at their futures like, hey, what am I going to do? So they're going to have to have that conversation with Colin Castleton, uh, you know, just to make sure that he's still feeling like, hey, you know, I see it on the horizon because his minutes have reduced tremendously because of Austin Davis. You know, does he still feel like, all right, next year it's going to be right back in line as long as soon as I get bigger? That's going to be a big key for them. But I think I agree with your point. They have got to be at least considering uh, the Austin Davis being a part of the future uh, deal again. But uh, go, uh, Tim, you you talked about scholarships, and there is there is a guy that we know a scholarship is open for right now. Uh, he being Josh Christopher, we talked about him in the lead in of the show. And one of the things, and you can speak to this with. Uh, with as 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 often as you are around top tier high school guys, uh, you know, especially in your capacity as the, you know, as the guy who runs the show at the NBA Players Association Top 100 Camp, it, it very often is the case these high profile five star guys that could be one and done types, they leave their high schools and they go and play. They go and play at the at the prep schools, the Mount Birds, the IMGs, for instance. And while that is you know, that is certainly a great option for a great many guys, I'm not down, you know, I, I'm not downgrading that at all or disparaging that at all. There's something to be said, though. I I, I still appreciate the kids who want to stay and play with the kids they grew up with at their local high schools. Guys like what Amani Bates is doing at Ipsy Lincoln. And what Josh Christopher is doing at Mayfair 
Tim, very small public high school. He very easily could have gone anywhere in the country, but he stayed at Mayfair since his eighth grade year and said, I'm going to play with my guys that I came up with. I applaud Josh Christopher for doing that. And, and I look back to, to my high school, my senior year, uh, one of the greatest years of my life, um, eating mom's cooking, having my parents and my brothers and sister at every game, playing with my boys that I grew up with, um, being able to go, you know, on a date on a Friday night, you know, walking through the halls with, with my classmates that I had years of experience with. Those are all really special memories. And, and, um, you know, three weeks ago, we had our 40-year reunion for my 1980 Clarkson High School basketball team. And, and we all got back together with the coaches. There were all kinds of fans that came to the Clarkston Oak Park game. Um, there were cheerleaders that came back. And, and it was so much fun to reminisce. Those are the kind of memories that you just you can't build in one year at a prep school. So I applaud Josh Christopher. He'll never regret hanging out with his boys, playing with his friends and, 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 and his classmates. All right, so I made it out to L.A. for a Josh Christopher senior night. Uh, and leading into that game, got a chance to sit down and talk to him about his senior year and about recruiting, about the University of Michigan and how they fit into his mix. Here is Josh Christopher. The man at our, Josh Christopher. Josh, how you doing? I'm all right, man. A little cold, <laughs> but I'm all right. All right. I could see from the from practice yesterday the intensity of this game, the importance of this game was thick, was palpable with you. Talk about the the last game of your high school career and your high school gym. I'm just trying to soak it all up, man. Everybody's been trying to, like, get an inside scoop in college and see where I'm going, you know, for the future. But, you know, I've been at Mayfair for five years, so, like, it was important for me just to grasp, the, like, my last moments inside of that gym and, you know, kind of just, like, to reflect and reminisce and just kind of enjoy it, you know, try to put everything that's in the past or the future aside and kind of just enjoy the moment. Are you always as intense as you were in practice, the way you were kind of on your teammates about what you want to see from them emotionally and focus-wise, are you always like that? Yeah, man. We have a younger group, uh, you know, try to get them to understand, you know, you know, this high school thing. And I've kind of seen it and been through a whole lot as far as high school. So just for me to, you know, pass on as much as I can and try to get my team on board with me so we can, you know, make another push in the playoffs and just to see other people be great and want to be great for themselves, man. I think uh, the more people that are, you know, that we have on the team that are into it and want to win and, you know, want to turn up in games, you know, the more our chances go up as we win. So you you mentioned everyone wants to know where you want to go to school. That's not just, you know, your friends and, and family and, and public. That's coaches as well. How do you balance it between, you know, doing you, doing your high school team and all this recruiting? Is it ever pressure or is it always still fun? It's no pressure because, you know, the people around me, I have, I have a really good support system, so they always just tell me it's no pressure. Uh, you have time, so be patient and follow your heart, and when the time is right, you'll know. So for me, just to be able to play basketball and for them to tell me that kind of stuff, for just me to enjoy it while I can and make the decision, you know, it's, it's big. Are you having fun with people? I'm talking about, like, people on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> It seems like you're having fun with people, man. Heck yeah, but I like to keep the suspense going. You know, I don't really give people too much. I think the decision should be real suspenseful. I think, like, they should know. I think when I make my decision, they should be, oh, my gosh, what? And then 
like a lot of mixed emotions. Some people gonna hate me, some people gonna love me, but you know, that's just part of it. Gotcha. All right, so take me back to that that Michigan visit. I've talked to your father about what he thought about it. But what did you think about it? What if anything stood out to you during your time in Ann Arbor? Yeah, man, I that, that block M it means something to them. Um when you step on, you know, that Michigan quarter or any kind of Michigan atmosphere, it's going to be crazy. Uh, the fans there really ride for their guys. Uh, when Jawan walked in the gym, the crowd started going crazy. So, I mean, it's just the spirit there is ridiculous. Now, it seemed like Michigan came out of nowhere. Like, you know, they weren't really a consideration for you before that. Was it just a matter of Jawan reaching out, or did you have interest in them before that? No, uh, I've always liked Michigan because of um, – DJ, DJ, I forgot his last DJ name. Wilson. Yeah, DJ Wilson. I've always liked Michigan just because of him. But, I mean, I like Jordan Poole too, so I've always kind of had my eyes on Michigan. And then Jawan got the job, and I was the first kid that he offered. So, I mean, it's kind of like a, okay, you rock with me as soon as you get the job, so I'm going to rock with you, you know. So, this class, seems like you know a few guys in it. Isaiah Todd, baby, I mean, how? Is that something that you're looking at? Do you know those guys? Do they recruit you? Heck yeah, you want to be at a place where you're comfortable. Um, of course, you want to make friends, but you also want to be in a position where you know people that you have a relationship already. So I think, you know, for me to look at, you know, guys like Zay Todd being there and then Greg Brown took a visit out there, you know, that, that plays a big part too. So kind of give me an idea without talking about specific schools now. Give me an idea about criteria. When you get ready to sit down and make this final decision, what are going to be the biggest factors in that choice? Uh, first, I want a coach that's going to push me. Um, I think any coach that didn't push me while, I, while I'm in his program is doing me a disservice and also doing himself a disservice. So I want somebody that's going to you know, want me to be great as well as myself wanting to be great. Um, a fun college atmosphere for sure. I want to be able to fill up gyms every game, not you know, not just <laughs> the big games, but every game. Okay. Um, and just somewhere where I could feel at home. Uh, of course, really cool people aside from uh, on campus, um, people that I could just kind of relate to. You know what I'm saying? So I could just have fun in college, no matter how long I'm there, one year, two years, four years, um, just somewhere I could enjoy and call home. You know, I talked to Coach Tone. He seems like a more laid-back guy. Is, is that the kind of coaching approach you like? Or did you, you mention the coach pushing you. I, I was only at one practice, so I don't know what Coach Tone's style is, but are you looking for a coach like him? Are you looking for a coach that's more in your grill? Are you looking for a coach more like Dad? What are you looking for? Uh, at Mayfair, Coach Tone has done his pushing my early years. So freshman and sophomore year, he was really hard on me. And junior year, he told me he was going to start giving me, you know, kind of like my leeway, and he wanted me to run the team. One of those times, he he, made, he let me run a practice, so he really kind of helped me shape myself into a leader. And um, when it comes to on the court, you know, he kind of lets me do what I want to do. Um, you know, of course, if he has something to say, he'll he'll tell me and we'll adjust to it. But for the most part, he's kind of giving me the freedom to lead the team, uh, you know, vocally, vocally. Uh, and in kind of every part of the game, honestly. And as far as your game is concerned, obviously you can you can run a team. You know, you can make plays for others. Is that the ideal scenario for you? Or does it matter? I mean, when you play off the ball, you play on the ball, what do you want? I feel like I'm versatile. I think I can play on the ball. I can think I can play on the ball uh, and off the ball. I think um, wherever a coach needs me to to be for us to win, I'll play that spot. And just in, in my case at Mayfair, I have to play a lot of different spots. So um, I think I kind of got to see where I am as far as position when I play in AAU, um, when I go to USA, 
Um, and anytime I'm playing with other, you know, high caliber, you know, five star guys, you kind of see where you fit in because you don't get to do everything because you got those guys. Now, I'm not asking you what you're gonna do. I'm just asking you, do you do you know or have a good idea what you're gonna do yet? I don't. I don't even have like a. Uh, I don't even have like a commitment date yet. I'm just kind of soaking it all up, playing high school, and then we'll see. When my season ends, that's when I might release a date, or I might just do it real randomly. I might just shock the world one day, and then you'll see it. I don't know. We gonna see. You, you don't strike me as a random type dude, though. You strike, you strike me as a dude that's gonna do like a ceremony or something, you know. Which is why I wanted to potentially just do something different. I always make a big deal out of everything. Um, but this time, I don't know, man. We might just, I don't know. We're going to see what happens. I don't know. All right, so my last couple for you. Pretend, take you out your box. You're not Josh Christopher anymore. You're a coach recruiting Josh Christopher. What do you do in these final in these final few months? What do you do to recruit you? Um, the things that I, okay, so I'll take it back. The things that I like to see from, you know, my, my recruiter coaches, where they all kind of do a good job. They know I like kind of like my personal time um they know that i'm busy so they kind of don't blow my phone up too much i honestly can't stand when coaches just blow my phone up i understand it's part of it you got to answer the phone but it just like it's like a uh, might be on your game um playing Fortnite or something and you got to answer a phone call that's the worst and uh somebody that kind of shows up you want to see coaches at your game so you know you, uh, you, so, so you know they're really interested, not just through a phone. You know, they show up to games, they show up to practices. Um, they contact your mom as well. I think that's important. You know, everybody likes to talk to my dad, but for people to contact my mom means a lot. Um, and then you got to watch how coaches interact with their other coaches too, you know, just to see. That that's kind of how you get to really see who coaches are. And I think all the coaches in my list uh, are pretty good at that, really good, like people – Person, people, persons, whatever you want to say it. Uh, all the coaches are like that. You know, they're just really cool, down-to-earth guys. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what I look for. I want to give uh, a couple other coaches some love. So, tell me about Coach Hurley, man. What do you think about Coach Bob Hurley? That's uh, that, that's guard you. Um, he made it to the league. My brother goes there right now. He always tells me how before games he's like super fired up. That's the kind of stuff that I like. A coach that's you know that's ready to go to war with you is is a coach that I'll be with any day. How does, how does your brother, does he recruit you at all, or does he let you do your thing? Nah, my big brother is just, he tells me, bro, like, you're my brother. You could do whatever you want, bro. I'm still going to love you at the end of the day. Of course, I would love to have you here, bro, but you might not even be in college for that long anyway. So, you know, you just got to do what's best for me. What about what about UCLA now that Sharif is, is leaving? What, what does that do, if anything, tonight? Um, I haven't heard from UCLA since it happened, so I, I, I haven't made too much of that. I don't know if I should, but I'm just going to wait. You know, my, my final four list that I draw, my top five list, even with Kentucky. My top five list is what it was and what I put out. So uh, if they reach out, you know, I'll be open to listen to them. Give me your thoughts on Conzo. I love Conzo. Man, he has a lot of guys in the league. I think at a point he was like maybe like top five in guys uh, getting guys to the league. So, I mean, Jalen Brown's having a breakout season and he played under him. So he's fired up too. He's just a family dude. You know, I like Conzo a lot. I love that dude. And then you know, the last two coaches are both at Michigan. So tell me about Coach Juwan for spend time telling me what you think about him as a guy and as a coach. And then Coach Sadi, who I know has been out here a little bit. Right. Uh, man, Juwan is just a great dude. I think he's like a real selfless person. And he doesn't have to be like that. Um, he's, just a, he's just a great person. He knows the game. Um, great connections, I'm sure. Um, 
I think he texted Michael Jordan one day. I was with him. I was like, whoa, this is Jordan. So, um, yeah, man, he's just he's just a really good dude. He wants to win like I do, and uh, he knows the game. And then Coach Sadi. Sadi, <laughs> that's my guy, too. He's just real upbeat. I think he's the, the more upbeat coach out of all of them. Um, he sends me shoes every once in a while. We talk about kicks and whatnot. He does TikToks with his, uh, with his kids. So I think he's like the upbeat coach. You know, he's real cool. All right. Well, hey, I appreciate it, Josh, for taking so much time. Good luck out there, man. Appreciate it. And we're back here on the Michigan Basketball Insider, Sam Webb and Tim McCormick. And, Tim, one of the things that really stood out to me in the conversation with Josh was when he was talking about his criteria where he said, I want to go to a place where every game, the environment is is big time. The fans are there supporting and and, and excited and and, and fired up and it that resonated with me because he came to Michigan for the Houston Baptist game and that game and people were there it was packed people were hyped up and fired up to cheer on Jawan Howard and I think that's something that stood out with him and I think it's something that stands out about Michigan in comparison to the other finalists them being UCLA Arizona State and Missouri that are on his list right now yeah first of all Sam look at you bringing it 3,000 mile trip to elevate the podcast. I appreciate that. <laughs> great, great, great interview. Very fun. So, you know, I, I um I, I'm big on branding. And and I think that's essentially what Josh is talking about. Nike, Google, Apple, Mercedes Benz, Microsoft, th- those are powerful brands. And in college athletics, Michigan has that same brand. And, and, and I, I liken it to my, my son, Callum, played at, at Western Michigan in Kalamazoo and had a really good experience for three years. And then he, um, he had his, his, his grad transfer year, and he went to Georgia Tech. And, and he said it was one of the greatest experiences of his life because he had never experienced a school that had so much pride where, where people wore spirit wear and they, they loved their school. Michigan is like that times a thousand and, and everybody wears their colors. They, they wear their hats. They love the block M and, and it's a lifelong experience that wherever you go, you know, any, anytime I walk through an airport and I see somebody walking by with a Michigan hat or a, a you know, a, a hoodie and I, we just give each other a look and a nod, like go blue. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, it, it, it's powerful. And it's a lifetime experience. You know, very few schools, do you have a reason to go back to your campus multiple times every year because of Michigan football and the excitement that is being created with Michigan basketball alumni want to come back to Ann Arbor and see their friends. It is a lifetime experience. Yeah. Lifetime connection, lifetime fraternity uh, on and off the court. Michigan has the largest, largest living alumni, uh, you know, in the country. And so, uh, that network is vast, and like you said, wherever you go from L.A. to New York to, 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 to Florida, I mean, there is a huge alumni base uh, for, for Michigan. It is, you know, when it comes to networking in the business world, guys like Stephen Ross uh, to athletics and, uh, you know, guys like in the broadcast industry. I mean, think about, think about the number of Michigan guys in broadcasting. So let's say you're, you're an athletic figure. You know, you play the game and you want to get in the broadcast, you know Tim McCormick, who's a former player. You know Jalen Rose, who's a former player. 
you know, Chris Weber, who's a former player, you know, Desmond Howard, who's a former player. I mean, all these guys are nationally are, are nationally renowned broadcasters. And and they are all former Michigan athletes. So you got that network working for you. Uh, as well, if you want to go into those kinds of endeavors, and that's just a, a small sampling of of what someone who goes to the University of Michigan, especially someone that goes to University of Michigan for athletics, just a sampling of what they can tap tap into. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot, and and it it leads us to the Michigan Michigan State game, which I think was the most important game of the year on so many levels. What? When you think about the rivalry, um, you got to get your confidence back in your, in your home court. Uh, another resume builder. You've got Tom Izzo versus Juwan Howard. Uh, last regular season game versus Cassius. Wonderful crowd. Man, there was a lot to like about that game. There was. Uh, and and I, I got to, you know, heading into this game, I, I am, again, going back to Ohio State, I was – I, I won't say I was down. I was disappointed. I, I was disappointed that they let that one get away. And I said it's tough to swallow. And Jawan Howard, like I said earlier in the podcast, said the very same thing. So if Jawan's feeling that way, then you know the players are, which is why I think it was so huge that Isaiah Livers came back for this game. And, and, and yes, the, the lift he gave the team on the floor immense immense he he is their best offensive he's their best player so uh, you know don't want to make it sound like his his contribution on the stat sheet was just this this secondary thing it was it was primary for sure but just as important was the lift he gave to that team emotionally coming off of a disappointing loss it was so huge to have him out there tim against this team especially I fear that if, if Isaiah Livers doesn't come back for this game, I don't think Michigan wins it. Oh, no. And and the crowd was lit up when they announced him. Everybody saw him warming up. He, he looked good, but we still weren't sure. And when they announced him, it was the equivalent of John Teske's alley-oop dunk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and, and I think it's it's important from, from a, a long-term standpoint in terms of NCAA resume building because five of the losses that Michigan had without Isaiah, I think would have been victories if he played. There have been a lot of really close games where one or two buckets, a defensive stop, a great rebound could have been the difference. And the selection committee is going to take all of that into account flat out. When Isaiah plays, Michigan can beat anybody in the country on a given day. Um, And then there's some hidden keys to that. By Isaiah starting, your bench gets better, right? Brandon Johns goes from being a a starter to a bench spark. Um, He's your best player. So Isaiah's going to get the opponent's top defender instead of a a support guy. You know, Brooks and Johns, they they get that other guy, you know, to cover them. And typically, good basketball teams have maybe two good defensive players. Some of them only have one. But, but when, when you take that best guy and you put him on someone like Isaiah that is used to having that heavy burden, it, it frees everybody else up. And, and I thought that Isaiah was really, really good against Michigan State. I see him getting a lot better. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another thing that, that stood out to me in that game, 
I go back to our conversation leading into the first Michigan State contest, and you, I know you remember this because you were talking about what the defensive strategy was going to be, and you said, hey, you know, I look for Michigan to play their drop coverage on, you know, on ball screens uh, against Michigan State. And I remember, I remember stopping and said, hold up, Tim, because you were, you were in the middle of a, of a thought, or, you know, kind of breaking down and previewing the game. And I said, hold up, Tim, did you just say they're going to play drop coverage on Cassius Winston? And you said, yeah, I, th- I think they are. And that's exactly what they did. And, Tim, I, I, I thought when, when you said it, I, I, you know, again, I'm no coach, but I've seen Cassius Winston a lot. And I felt like that was, that was a, a decision that they would, they would come to regret. And in the game, I felt like that was the case because while Cassius Winston had had success against them in prior games where they hard hedge ball screens, he had a career day a career best day when they dropped on ball screens. And so in this game, you know, it was important to see how Michigan adjusted. And you know what they didn't do in this game on Cassius Winston? They did not give him that space coming off of ball screens, and it made a huge difference. And we've seen a lot of different Michigan defenses against Cassius. Um, There were times that John Beeline tried a hard hedge. There were the times where last year – they had a a um, they, they had like a lateral containment where they doubled Cassius and John Teske was 40 feet from the basket. That didn't work. And then the drop coverage. This made a lot of sense. They used Austin Davis and John Teske in more of a contain hedge. And then then they get the guard back in position and he just never got rolling. I know he had 20 points, but it was high usage to get to that mm-hmm. point. And 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 it was really. A, a, a dominant performance by Michigan in a lot of ways. They were completely in control on the glass, one of their best rebounding performances of the year. They, they, they won the loose ball game. Every loose ball, it seemed like people were on the floor. The rebounding and the loose balls led to 21 fast break points. That, that's huge in a game against a good half-court defense. You've got to find ways to generate extra points. How else did they do it? 18 for 23 from the line. Excellent numbers. The the bench was solid, and Michigan State only shot 33%. It was it was just an inspiring performance. And and one other thought is I watched the impact of Isaiah Livers. A hidden key is that at this point of the season, this is like the dog days of college basketball, right? There's there's still what like eight games to go and. So you can't really see the Big Ten tournament. and Everybody's tired and worn out and, 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 and a little bit fatigued, except Isaiah Livers. Mm-hmm. He is so energized. And I think that especially when you're, you're going into two games this week where you're going to need high energy and excitement, Isaiah is going to be the catalyst that's going to elevate his guys. So Michigan State was the biggest game of the year, and I think they played as well as they could play. They, they were great. Yeah, they they rose to the occasion. I, I admit to cringing a bit when Isaiah Livers went up for the dunk. It's like, oh, my God. You know, it's, uh, I wanted him to do the football equivalent of, of sliding or getting out of bounds, man. It's like, dude. But he, he said, you know, he had said he wasn't going to try to go up and dunk, but he, once he got in the game, uh, he just said, uh, you know, some, some, some things you can't turn off. Uh, but it it did. He was no worse for the wear. The wear. Uh, you know, Jawan Howard had a, a a pretty good, I think, load management plan that Isaiah bought into. Isaiah, he said, "Look, tug that jersey when 
when you need to come out, listen to your body. And, and Isaiah did that. Uh, you know, got out, got a blow, went back in the game. So I think they did a good job uh, of really managing him well. That was good to see uh, that he he came out of the game feeling uh, feeling pretty good. Uh, and then, you know, some of the other guys. I want to go back to Franz Wagner again because I just – man, Tim, you know, you watch him in this game. It was another one of those contests where you look at it and you say, you know, offensively it wasn't – it wasn't – you know, what he is going to be. You know, he's going to shoot the basketball better later in his in his career, hopefully later in this season even. But he does not let that define his game. His shooting woes don't adversely impact the rest of his, the rest of his performance. So he's going to go out and get you seven boards. He's going to go out and play some, some tough defense. He's going to get to the free throw line a few different times. So in 33 minutes, he led Michigan in minutes on the game, Tim. He only had eight points, and, but I, I felt like his game was much bigger than eight points and seven rebounds. I felt like he was a factor on both ends of the floor for Michigan. He's respected, and, and they, they don't leave him very often. I like his driving game a lot. And the truth is, you mentioned, you know, his, his shot is not falling. You are what your numbers say you are. And right now, Franz Wagner is not a reliable shooter. However, when I watch him shoot, he's got beautiful form, very compact, nice release, releases. Pre-shot mechanics are really good. So what I think is going to happen, he, he's got to be confused in the back of his mind. And 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 I know that that he's thinking to himself, okay, I know what I'm doing this summer. 30,000 <laughs> shots with a gun, with a manager, working on my form, getting them off quicker, You know, running sprints and shooting when I'm tired. He is going to be a really good shooter, but right now I think he's better off focusing on the other things, get to the line, drive, get something in transition, and then those perimeter shots go in a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, you know, very, very good to see. Uh, nod to the point guards uh, for, for Michigan. You talked about Eli Brooks and his defense on, on Cassius Winston. But, you know, making them respect the point guard position. Xavier Simpson was able to do that in this game. You know, do you do an effective job of taking what the defense gives you? And I felt like all five of his makes were, were examples of that. The four threes he made where they left him open. Uh, and and he can four or seven threes. Uh, the layup he hit. You you had Rocket Watts jumping his right hand, like most teams do, like Michigan State did really effectively up in East Lansing. What does he do? Crosses over to his left and attacks the rim to his left uh, and finishes that way. I, you know, it was just again a an all around good sixteen points, eight assists, uh, where he didn't try to do too much in this game. Didn't over dribble the basketball. Didn't try to force it offensively. Took what they gave them, gave him, and managed and ran his team extremely well. The first time in a number of games, Tim, where you could say Xavier Simpson outplayed Cassius Winston. Yeah, so it was good, and and I believe that 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 might have evened up their career record against each other. And um, one of the things that that really really stood out to me: four out of seven from three. And I think one of our first, maybe our second podcast, I think it was the Glenn Rice podcast, I had just gone to their practice and I was watching him shoot. One of my problems with Xavier Simpson last year was his arm angle on his three-point release. And his elbow was out, which mean he, he, means he was always going to shoot a little bit of a knuckleball. And, and he worked really hard 
to, to make sure that his elbow and his wrist were all perpendicular. And that way, when you shoot it, it's more compact. The rotation is better, and you're more likely to shoot it straight. I'm not saying he's not going to have some, some slumps at some point, but in that game, in the hottest of conditions, in the brightest lights, he really was in charge. Mm-hmm. And, again, we talked about what a great job Jawan did managing Isaiah Livers' minutes. He managed uh, he managed X's minutes very well also. This is one of the things that uh, was pointed out on our morning show. You know, when, they, when he went out, uh, late in the second half, and he had Dave DeJulius. Uh, Juwan had Dave DeJulius on the court. Michigan actually expanded their lead, uh, and you, you got to. Part of that is the effectiveness of, of of Dave and Eli in the backcourt. You know, Eli didn't shoot a great percentage, but hit two clutch threes in the game. Dave DeJulius knocked down a couple of big threes uh, in the contest as well. But they were able to give Xavier a blow while Cassius Winston. You could tell. Uh, Tim, he was gassed. That was a part of of his performance. He was tired, and Michigan's guys were fresher. Yeah, and and when you you talk about Cassius and how great he is, what a privilege to have watched and enjoyed his career. But when Michigan State was five and zero, yeah, I, I said, Sam, I'm not really that impressed with their long term potential. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just I think that they have two stars and they lack the support guys. And, and I also said at some point, the Big Ten champ this year is going to have five losses. And, and so the, the, the league's competitiveness and balance is showing up. And, and Michigan State's got a tough road the rest of the way. They sure do. All right, so let's talk about Michigan's road, Tim, and turn the page to, uh, to Northwestern. Now, you know, you look at the league standings, and you know what, what people tend to do. Uh, you know, coaches have to keep their teams from doing what the fans do when they look at the standings and they say, hey, you know what? This is a team that they aren't that good. You know, you're going to you're going to beat this squad. No problem. You know, Michigan is not the kind, not the kind of team uh, where you could afford to overlook anyone that way. I don't think we will see that. But tell us what you expect uh, from Northwestern when the Wolverines do battle with them. Northwestern is getting better in a hurry. They have a lot of young guys. I like Chris Collins. And, and you could see that they had Rutgers beat on the road and, and it didn't work out, but Northwestern is going to knock somebody out of the big 10 race this year. They're, they're going to surprise some people because they're getting better and, and you don't want it to be you. And I put this game on Isaiah livers. Once again, he's fresh, he's a leader and, and he's got to make sure his guys are ready to go. Um, you can't lose that game. It it really boosts your, your, your resume. And they've got three home wins or three home losses that they have to do some work to be able to get back to 500 in the big 10. It's going to be challenging, but, but I think that they're capable of it. And, and so Northwestern is a must win. And then you've got Indiana at home. Indiana is struggling as well. They haven't, they haven't won in a while. Um, There's a lot of heat on Archie Miller. They're talented enough to beat you in your building, but, this would be a great opportunity to build a streak and get some momentum for the home stretch. Yeah, you 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 nailed it when you talk about two teams that are really really struggling heading into their matchups, into their matchups with Michigan against Northwestern again. Uh, you know, I mean, or you're you're on the road against Michigan, right, right, uh, and, and against Northwestern. So you gotta you 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 gotta when you talk about being able to steal a few on the road. 
uh, this is one of the ones that you got to be able to steal against a team that's lost seven straight, lost seven straight games. And so, like you said, you don't want to be that one, but you also got to pay attention to, like you said, they had Rutgers. They're feeling better about themselves. They're feeling like they were close, uh, and now they're home. They're like, okay, guys, you know, maybe this could be the one that can get us over the top. Uh, and so if you're Michigan, you can't let that be you. Uh, you look at an Indiana team, they've lost four straight, Tim, and I'm trying to figure them out because when they beat Michigan State, you remember back when they beat Michigan State uh, in, in Bloomington a few weeks back, I thought that was going to be a turning point for this team. Uh, and they almost, if they, beat, if they beat Maryland in that next game, you remember they lost that game by a point. If they beat Maryland in that next game, you wonder if that if that's a chain reaction for them. But they lose that Maryland game, uh, and then it, it propelled them on this this losing streak that they're on now with four straight losses heading into heading into this week versus Iowa, and then uh, at, at here at Michigan. Yeah, two thoughts: one on Michigan Northwestern. All of our Michigan people that are listening to our podcast, make sure you get out there in Evanston because. That's always a great home crowd for Michigan when they play in Northwestern and then against Indiana. They're the kind of team right now. They're young. They're very fragile. If, if they're around at halftime, they're going to be really hard to beat. But if you knock them out early, they'll go away and you'll have a cruise. Yeah, great, great stuff as always, Tim. Another strong, great podcast uh, and coming on the heels of a Michigan victory over Michigan State Cannot beat that. Hopefully we come back. We're just as festive talking about another couple of wins for the Maize and Blue. All right. Go Blue, Sam. Thanks.